Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award winning Birkin Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. All of us occasionally grapple with the existential human question, why am I here? In those moments, to ascribe some sort of relevance to our presence on Earth, we might aggrandize the importance of our occupation. For example, try this. Wherever you are right now, pick a random object. Now make an argument for why it's the most vital element of human society. For example, you're in a room and you could pick a chair. If we couldn't sit down to rest or work at a desk, life as we know it would be impossible. So, if you make chairs for a living, you could say you're absolutely vital to the, uh, the life of human society. If you're in a car, there's a bolt that attaches your steering wheel to the steering column, and there are a series of bolts that attach your wheels to their hubs. Without these bolts, we wouldn't have a transportation vehicle of any type. So a person who works on a machine manufacturing bolts can say their occupation is absolutely vital to human society. You see where this goes. You can pick pretty much anything. Even with that in mind, my lunch guest, Bobby Feigler, has a good claim to actually being central to the existence of our economic system. Bobby is vice president and general manager of Michelle Weighing and Measurement. Almost everything in our world is weighed. Structural elements of buildings have load-bearing weight, most of the food we eat is sold by weight, and then there's gold, silver, and, and your own body mass index. Scales that reliably and accurately weigh things are essential for almost every aspect of our lives. Michelle Weighing and Measurement calibrates and regulates scales. The company was founded in Louisiana in 1947. It's still headquartered here in Harahan. Today it employs over 150 people and services 11 states in the South and in the West for the United States. Bobby Feigler? Welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. In the game of what's most vital to human existence, we don't have to do any mental gymnastics to agree on food. We all need to eat. Almost every human civilization has given specific people the role of preparing meals for the rest of us. In our case, we've created specialty eating locations called restaurants. However, because our society is built on a foundation of commerce, operating a restaurant is not just a matter of being able to prepare food. People like to eat. It also requires the ability to run a business. To be financially successful, a restaurant needs as many as 20 people in the office and in corporate positions. Most restaurants simply can't afford that kind of investment in personnel, and that's why Elizabeth Tilton created a company called Oyster Sunday. Oyster Sunday is a specialty corporate team that provides expert business skills for independent restaurants. They've been around since 2019 and have clients from Los Angeles to New York, from DC to home here in New Orleans and as far afield as Tokyo. Elizabeth Tilton, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Bobby, everything in one way or another comes down to execution. No matter 
how exact the tools are that are used to calibrate scales, ultimately there's a person who's making measurements and adjusting scales for accuracy. How do you find people you trust to execute in a job where there is literally no margin for error? Wow, what a good question. Um, it's funny you bring up the people factor. It's, it's the center of everything we do, and uh, we think it's our big differentiator. Um, we find folks that you know have uh, an ability to fix things, to troubleshoot things, uh, folks that have a proven and great work ethic, um, that have super high integrity, because ultimately when they walk away from the equipment, they're saying whether it's correct or incorrect, accurate or inaccurate. And there's rules about that, right? The there are states rules. regulate. Uh, when weight. folks are buying food or selling components for food or um, buying metals, um, when they're buying and selling um, by weight, it's regulated by each state's weights and measures. I have to admit, measures, there's a, when they throw a bunch of shrimp in that little scale, I, I think they're winging it, but that's okay. There's uh, <laughs> Elizabeth, we've talked about the restaurant industry over the years here on Out to Lunch, and the one thing we've learned is that restaurants run on very small margins. Even a well-run restaurant can have a profit margin as low as 2%. When you work with a restaurant, your company, Oyster Sunday, becomes more or less the corporate office of the restaurant. Presumably, you have to be able to increase either the revenue or the profit margin of a restaurant to cover your own costs. Because of that, I imagine your strategy doesn't work for every restaurant. So what requirements are you looking for in a restaurant that works best with your services? Such a great question. I would say in general, we always, when we're looking at restaurants we're working with across the United States and also hotels and breweries and wineries, it really runs the gamut and bars um, as we are here. But, you know, I think the one thing we always look at is restaurants are the point of view, is where, how we discern where, who we work with. And to your point about finding margin, I think the inevitability is that when you're an owner operator, the reality is that you become the CFO, the CMO, the COO overnight. In order to really find scale and to find a, uh, find sustainability within your own business, we are really of the mindset that you can we can basically help to outsource those resources and help take some of those things off your plate to find viability. So we really start with financial modeling. We do performance development. We sit there and say, how do you want to run your business? How do you want to spend your time? And how can we get you there? And I think that any restaurant or small coffee shop or bar that we work with, we take that first. The first question is, what at the end of the day is success? Is it about profit margin? Is it about sustainability? Is it about break even? Is it about finding 100% health care um, for, for your employees? That's really where we run at. Um, and we find, we plug in our team in order to make that viable based off their budget. So and I, I gotta say, Elizabeth, most people that open a restaurant, they usually have a love for food, not a love for accounting and all the rest, so. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a, it's a lot to take on as one individual and to be able to delegate, to make the restaurant work on a day-to-day -day basis, let alone provide those resources that make a viable business. Sometimes they can be complimentary and sometimes they can be at odds given your bandwidth. And Bobby, you, the company's grown a lot since 1947. Is it, um, the growth going forward, is it through M&A? Uh, you're seeing other companies you could buy or is it maybe a growth in the product line or some combination? Well, it's been a great, great growth curve. I mean, the business started here um, right off of Metairie Road in 1947 and uh, sort of grew organically um, over the first probably 50, 60 years in terms of customers, you know, pulling us into new areas, whether it be Mobile or uh, Bossier City or Alabama or Houston. Um, I guess in the last 10 years or so, the business 
uh, looked at the idea of expanding what we are able to uh, calibrate. And that grew into the precision measurement device arena. And historically, people know us as a weighing calibration company. We focus on scales, industrial scales. But there are many other measurement devices that folks use, pressure gauges, torque wrenches, temperature devices. Um, and so we've expanded so that when we have all these existing customers, they're also needing to calibrate and measure using other types of tools. So we've grown in terms of what we're able to calibrate, and we've also grown our footprint. Um, we acquired a location of one of our manufacturers that consisted of, I think, 11 different sites in the western United States, and that put us on the map from Seattle down to San Diego over to Phoenix, and uh, we did an acquisition in Texas. Um, so it's been a combination of organic growth uh, driven by our customer base and uh, most recently some acquisitions in the last decade or so. Now, Elizabeth, your reputation of the company is growing and your personal reputation, but how do you get new clients? Are you at conferences for restaurants or are you knocking on doors? <laughs> I'm trying to picture that. Yeah, definitely. I, we, we've been very fortunate um, since the beginning of 2019 that all of our clients have been inbounds or referrals from our previous clients, our current, current restaurants partners we're working with. So we've been really lucky to have kind of a lot coming in. Um, we do do a fair bit of thought leadership, particularly during the really in the height of COVID. We we're putting out a lot of resources that were free and public to independent operators across the United States. And it kind of resulted in over, like over 50,000 people hitting our website in the course of six months. And I think in that, putting these resources out really set us aside as saying, not only do we do this work for our restaurant partners, but we want a lot of independence, even if you don't have, maybe you aren't working with us directly to have access to those to make your business stronger as much as it could be. And we continue with that. Bobby, in terms of competition, uh, I'm, I assume you have it, uh, are there barriers to entry that make it tough to get in this business? Yeah, I mentioned earlier the precision measurement device arena. Uh, there are some very um, rigorous elements that you have to overcome, one being uh, accredited through the International Standards Organization, or ISO, to do the type of calibration we do. So there's an accreditation process that is an ongoing annual um, requirement that basically makes us fit to do the technical calibration work. Um, so sometimes our most high-tech customers may have their own internal um, calibration departments. Um, so we often assist those folks in ensuring that their equipment that they're using is accurate or many of our customers, we're actually calibrating their measurement equipment they're, they're using, say, in production, or in logistics, or in shipping, or in you know inventory control. Those shipping's where you guys started, right? I mean, the port and, uh, and all of right that. here. You know, it started uh, really um, uh, uh, GT Michelli Senior, um, the namesake of our business, uh, Michelli. Um, started the business really um, back in the day there were uh, there was a company called Burroughs and they did uh, very automated mail sorting and he worked in that business I'm old and I know what Burroughs he discovered was. that the weighing aspect was important and that became one of the uh, elements that drove right on Metairie Road um, for the business to start it actually uh, uh, it actually started in a house um, in mid-city 
and then move to a larger, you know, I don't know how many square feet, but a relatively small storefront on Metairie Road, and then it's grew from there, right out of here in New Orleans. Well, I heard one of the ads you did for uh, hiring people in uh, Central uh, California, I think, and uh, um, I know it's not easy. It's a might be kind of a lonely job because you're on your own there, but that kind of leads me into Elizabeth, where you're talking about restaurants and bars where um, not only is it difficult to get employees now, but they're very mobile. They just come and go, come and go. And I guess what you're, as a company, as a restaurant, you'd like them to be a little stickier. And uh, what I've always heard is the thing that makes things stickier is benefits. So how do you sell that? Uh, obviously, it's going to eat into the margins a little bit. How do you sell that whole package? Yeah, I think at first and foremost, you have to start with understanding how much it does cost and how much you're able as a company to attribute. Let's just talk about healthcare specifically. You can attribute, you can ideally want to attribute 100% of healthcare, but at the end of the day, most operators are under 40 people or under, not required by federally mandated to require small business health insurance. And so you really had to get scrappy and really strategic about how how you choose and what you choose to offer. And we always recommend is that let's run the financials. We always go back to the numbers and financials and the data. But next is asking them what, what you're asking your team what they want. There's a lot of people who have different needs and benefits in their lives. But really what we did, so that's kind of on our day-to-day -day basis how we help operators. But separate of that, starting in 2019, we started building what we now have as the Oasis Sunday Benefits Program, or now soon to be called OS Benefits. And really what that is for us is that we recognize this is a very big Achilles heel in this industry. We know that um, recruitment and retention is key and really, really important to the industry, not only for one brick and mortar, but to have anyone come into the industry. And so what we did was we aggregated preferred preferred vendors with preferred pricing as looking at saying, what, have, what happens if we went as an industry to get telemedicine, preventative care, child care, dog walking facility. Um, dog walking. Yeah, even dog walking um, options that are, and all of them are national in scale. And so what we're doing now is we've created a tech solution that's really data-driven, and I think that's something, Bobby, we can talk a lot about, is just being numbers and data really helps to inform all of our operators for what they should be doing on a daily basis beyond the benefits program. But every operator in the United States has access to it at a uh, monthly subscription. Um, and then it's our goal to get the word out and to keep scaling. So more of a retention contract than a project contract? Yeah, it's a subscription. So you're op even if you work with us or not, any operator in the United States can, can opt in. And um, we're actually also now have catastrophic insurance as part of it. So you, as an operator, you can, if you're not insured, you can give them coverage for a very nominal cost a month to protect your team, which in the end of the day, this is right now focused on um, excuse me, focus on restaurants and hospitality, but it can impact freelancers, it can impact you know, retail, so on and so forth. So we're very excited to have launched that program. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Elizabeth Tilton from Oyster Sunday, the corporate partner of restaurants across the country, and Bobby Feigler from Michelle Wang and Measurement, the folks who calibrate and maintain scales. Bobby, you, I would think you've got, you've made, you've done this on purpose, big variety of different industries you serve. Uh, you know, I think in New Orleans, a lot of people were all in on oil and gas, and then all of a sudden they, you know, found themselves in difficulty. But you're all over there, and I would imagine also um, that the pandemic wasn't as bad for you as other folks. Is that right? Yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, you know, there was these mission-critical industries, and they became uh, more needing of our capabilities, uh, and it became really, we didn't really see a, a bump um, due to the COVID situation. Um, 
and our customers are measuring typically for one of three reasons. They're measuring for quality purposes. Uh, they're manufacturing a product. Could be chocolate chip cookies. It could be a high-tech Tesla automobile. And there's a lot of precision measurements that go into that. So quality, um, they're measuring because of safety reasons. They want to make sure what they're building will withstand, say a vehicle can carry so much weight, or a steel span can carry so much concrete, or they're buying and selling by weight. And so commerce, quality, and safety are the three primary drivers. And during the, the pandemic, you know, those still were big drivers throughout business in the United States. And uh, Elizabeth, you were actually on the other side of this in terms of your clientele. You went from, hey, I think this is a good good idea, to I'm trying to make you, uh, enable you to survive this thing. So how was that different? Yeah, immediately when we, we understood the gravity of the situation, we, we started to suspend all payments from our clients and then started putting out resource, everything we're hearing. Because what we, I guess, to give a little background of how we're structured, is that we do declare ourselves a corporate office. So on like within our orbit, we have... Um, general counsel, we have financial analysts, we have operators and brand marketers. So all of a sudden, we kind of took a step back and said, what knowledge do we have collectively as a group that we can put forward to really impact business and impact people for free, any operator? And that's again, goes back to the resource we put out. But I think what was interesting, Peter, your question is that we started, we knew that immediately it was going to be human resources to protect your team. It was immediately followed by finance. And then it quickly went into digital marketing and data-driven data decision-making because we had to then talk to people to understand what you did offer. And the, the more digital infrastructure you had, the more the quicker you're able to turn on that faucet and to really get in front of people to let them know how you're operating because operations no longer were where they were even two weeks prior. So it was interesting. So we just started kind of watching. It was a very natural cadence across the United States and watched it happen. Um, and so we just started putting out resources and offered... 30-minute um, free consultation to any operator who called us. In a, that has got to add customer loyalty, right? If you were there for them for free. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it definitely did, and we did because at the end of the day, we, you know, knowledge is power, in my opinion, and like the more we can give that, and I think it's something we do still to this day. We we offer free consultation to this day. We offer free resources because all independent restaurants have the same, a very not shouldn't say the same, but a very similar infrastructure that questions are being asked. And we never want to gatekeep. Like that's nothing. Like there's no value in that. Like the really when we when everyone has the stability of the foundation, then it liberates everyone to really think creatively and to understand your product and understand how to take care of your team and put all that energy to benefits rather than survival. And I'm really really passionate about that. And Bobby, uh, you have an interesting uh, background kind of beyond this because you started another company that later did uh, an IPO, which is uh, that's a whole other. What, uh, what was that like? I mean, and what did you bring to Michelle from that? Well, you know, I, I left here in 1985. I graduated from Loyola and went in the military. I was an officer in the uh, U.S. Army Infantry. And when I got out of the Army, uh, myself and uh, another Army officer started a company uh, after we had worked for a big healthcare company. That company was called SciQuest, and it was an internet marketplace for scientific products. And it was a it was a dot com. We wound up taking the company public right before the markets, you know, collapsed um, in in early 2000. And uh, but that experience of, of starting something from nothing, uh, a value proposition that didn't exist in, in the eyes of the customers, um, I had the opportunity, and it's it's so great in this city because we're all connected in some form. 
to to come back home. Uh, I am related to the family, but the folks that were running the business actually knew them since childhood. Joel McMullen, um, David Barnett, uh, Bobby McDill, Anthony Michelli, and of course GT Michelli. I, I knew these folks for a good part of my life, and I had the opportunity to go work with them. And they were of the mindset, and this is one of our core uh, uh, sort of underlying elements of our DNA, is that you know, work in an area where you can actually contribute, where you like what you're doing. And um, from day one, you know, with Joel and, and GT, they were like, you know, take your experience and apply it in our business. And so it's, it's actually been wonderful for me because I had a, a, another experience outside of the area and I've been able to apply a lot of those learnings, good and, and bad learnings, to what we're doing in this very, very um, uh, mature industry. It's been around forever. So are you going to bring Michelle public? I think we like where we're at right okay, now, Peter. Okay, all right, all right. They, <laughs> but that, that quite, that's a very good comment because I was going to ask this to Elizabeth. These companies that you're working with, they have maybe one, two, three restaurants or bars. Um, do you help them with the toughest decision of all, which is, do I want to keep growing or am I happy where I am? Because when you grow, you've got more debt, you work harder, uh, more risk. How do you sit down and have that conversation? Yeah, we always start with the question at the end of the day, what is success for you? What does it look like? Because if you can answer that question and said, my goal is to have multi-unit nationwide or be specific to like having the best pizza in New Orleans, multi-location or one spot. I think you have to see that clearly in your own mind as an op as an owner. And then we have definitely helped people scale to go from one unit, then scaling a, a quick service restaurant, QSR as we call it, um, to multi-unit. And then they have ambition to going to a different coast. Like we're working with operators to make those decisions in different ways. And sometimes we're working with them financially to run the numbers. Sometimes we're saying, okay, how do we set up your how do we set up your, your CRM, your digital marketing strategy, your brand strategy to prepare you for scale? So it depends on how the operator and where their strengths are because some operators have their financials taken care of but they need marketing or they need HR and then we help them kind of plug in. And you but know always somebody telling them, come on baby, open 20 of them. Totally, right? there's mm -hmm. a lot of, yeah. and I, I think it's a really important question because I think several years ago the, the key to success was growth. And I think a lot of operators, particularly in the wake of COVID, have had to really bear that question for themselves saying, is growth to me success? Is growth to where I want to live my life? And I don't think everyone can answer yes anymore. I think people have looked at alternative revenue streams that did not mean multi-unit. It meant, can you do consumer packaged goods? Can you put out content? Can you do all these? I'd be more, very taking a really important product and being very creative about how that how that shows up into the world. I think people are really questioning for them for themselves. And people have chosen to to come to um, reduce in size as a result as well. And Bobby, I guess when you're at a party trying to explain what you do, the two things that people see all the time are uh, on the gas pump and then the weighing stations. So is uh, do, you, do you service those industries? Um, we do not service the gas stations, but um, you know, like, just, I was thinking about this as Elizabeth was talking. Um, from the time you plant a seed in the ground and that turns into some form of food or beer, um, you know, to the time we dispose of it, um, the measurement process happens tens of times. And so, you know, I always think about, you know, the, in the Central Valley of California, they're growing all these crops for the U.S. market. Um, those are getting processed and packaged. 
um, they're getting formed into some kind of product or beverage we're going to drink that's then getting consumed that's then getting you know disposed of in some form or fashion all throughout that entire circle or process um, things are being measured so it's it's all around us people don't recognize the industry say, but it's literally everything we're looking at on this table has been measured multiple times Bobby, I always think about when it comes to industries, the Venn diagram of how they overlap. Mm -hmm. And for me, when you're talking about the, the supply chain and the transition of food as it goes from one, let's say, the farmer all the way down to a grocery store and how measurement impacts how we consume, I think that's so fascinating. So yeah. Number one, and then data-driven, right? Yeah, like it's very data-driven. And I was, I was listening to your conversation uh, today at the table. Um, we've actually worked with a number of very, very well-known restaurants here in New Orleans. Um, so imagine you have a steakhouse or a big seafood restaurant and the suppliers are showing up every day with these coal trucks, frozen trucks or coal material. And you think you're getting 100 pounds or 500 pounds of great quality Chicago meat. And it gets thrown into the refrigerator, the chef grabs it, the sous chef grabs it, starts to do their stuff. and something doesn't add up financially at the end of it. Well, there's leakage, there's loss, there could be theft. And so many of the restaurants decided to capture that by putting in some form of measurement, weighing scales at the point of receiving, and they capture the data that then is given to the, say, the accounts payable folks to verify that they actually received on this day 25 boxes, each box weighed exactly X amount of weight to ensure that they're paying for what they're actually getting. Yeah. And so, and, and the data piece is so critically important in all of our customers. Um, they use that to improve quality, reduce waste, um, ensure that they're successful. So I think inventory management and waste reduction are vital for restaurants that we try to find margins to Peter's earlier question. I think it's really vital figure that out and I have to I have to joke when I'm looking at the we have some measurements behind us um, at from the table and I, I was a pre-med and the, the measurement on the far right is giving me a lot of PTSD from organic chemistry right, class so right. thank you for bringing that it's yeah, been years decades <laughs> you know it's a funny one uh, in this industry in, in the food and beverage industry um, I remember uh, several of the bar rooms on Bourbon Street were our customers um, and what they would do they would shut down at maybe three o'clock in the morning, and they would inventory basically by the weight of the bottles. They would know the starting <laughs> weight, and they would know the ending weight, and then back to the data, they would compare that simple number to what the receipts showed. How many you know, one ounce jiggers did they serve up uh, during the course of the evening? You may have heard the statistic, the world is divided into two kinds of people those who believe the world is divided into two kinds of people and the rest. The point is, it's not all that helpful to simplify the world by broad stroke categorization. But at least in business, there is one such observation that is worth noting, and that is the distinction between what we see and what we don't. When we go to a restaurant, we see people making and serving meals. What we don't see is the equally important team of people in the back office. Elizabeth, you've come up with a way to provide restaurants with a corporate team that lets owners and chefs concentrate on what we see and what they do best. And Bobby, your business provides the most significant contribution imaginable to commerce that most of us actually never see. 
It is nice to be able to meet and acknowledge people who are normally out of the spotlight. Uh, Bobby and Elizabeth, thank you both for taking the time to join me today thank on you Out so to much Lunch. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, what Peter. A, what a great conversation. Yeah, great location, <laughs> yeah, great <I> conversation. <laughs> we haven't even got to the pizza yet. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Bobby Feigler, Vice President and General Manager of Michelle Weighing and Measurement and Elizabeth Tilton, founder and CEO of Oyster Sunday. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Elizabeth's restaurants and Bobby's scales by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you here again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic Cantos New York style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small-batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com. <laughs>